as we continue to find some resemblance of normalcy in our lives, it's important to understand that young people have been dramatically changed in the past two to three years. Not only have they been forced to distance themselves physically due to the pandemic, but they have had some of our nation's most controversial issues reveal themselves in a shocking way. Racial inequality and critical race theories is, is threatening to usurp what has long been taught and established as the gospel in education. Young people and those that are charged with educating them have been thrust into a very uncomfortable light and need help in their understanding of the way, the truth, and the light. We will take a look at the issue that have, issues that have come forth in our podcast and share how we as educators can be leaders in what can only be described as plight in our nation's schools. You know, something you, you mentioned is that coming back from COVID, it, it sounds like, uh, it sounds to me like students, students maybe haven't been prepared as well as they could have to return from COVID. Is that, is that fair to say? No doubt. It's definitely fair to say. It, it's, uh, it was one of those things where, because there was no precedent, uh, you weren't really sure how to approach things. Uh, you weren't really sure what proper protocol was. Um, and um, you know how, how that thing goes. When, whenever you have something that you can't compare it to something else, the things and the decisions that you make are basically on the fly. So, um, so I'm sure there were some times where you, know, you second guess. There were some times where uh, you made decisions and, 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 and not, not everyone agreed with it, but uh, you, know, you did what was best for for the masses, let's say, uh, and in that particular time. Well, yeah, and I wonder if what happened is uh, through through the years um, we become focused on student achievement. So sure. an educator's paradigm uh, might be that with the uh, online learning and the the lack of you know physical interaction and and even the test scores, uh, formative and summative and the standardized tests, we're showing that you know, maybe there were becoming gaps in students learning. So the, sure. the teachers and the principals coming back from COVID were, were really focused on how do we close these gaps? They're really focused on the student learning. Sure. But potentially what happened, and I'm not, you know, trying to be a seer or predicting exactly what happened, but potentially what happened was that we took for granted the, uh, the quite natural socialization that takes place in schools, you know, among students and between students and teachers and between uh, students and administrators. So while we were focused on getting learning kicked in again and started up again, maybe we should have been focused on rebuilding those relationships that, uh, that maybe fell off while we were separated due to COVID. Well, it's just one of those things where you know, how do you build those relationships again when you have to follow all of these protocols? You have to keep safe distance. You have to, to uh, you know, keep that, that uh, you know, those gaps separated as opposed to, you know, just allowing students to be who they are. And I mean, I can't even imagine being an administrator at that particular time. 
um, because you just don't know. You don't know if you're too close. You don't know how far as far how far away is far enough. Um, and and then as far as uh, your attendance, um, you know, do you you I mean, do you bring in all the kids in at once? Do you come in? Do you stagger your time, your your school day? There were so many things that uh, they had to be accounted for that it had to be tough to be an administrator at that particular time. You know, I was talking to one of my students the other day and uh, they had been talking to a first grade teacher and coming back from COVID, you know, those students had missed out on their whole kindergarten year. Sure. In kindergarten, what do they do in kindergarten? Uh, they teach socialization. They, sure. you know, you know uh, now, you know, um, early childhood has provided a lot of that teaching and learning uh, for the places that have early childhood. But still, the kindergarten classroom, you know, there may be some introduction to some letters and numbers and some very basic reading, but it's really about socialization. And so this first grade teacher now who is really focused on more um, academic pursuits, all of a sudden found herself in the position to, you know, in reality, be the kindergarten teacher for those students who had missed kindergarten and were now in first grade. Sure. And, and that philosophy kind of trickles up. Sure. And the other thing is you consider coming back from COVID and, and some of the behavior challenges that we've run into and that the teachers and principals are experiencing is what motivates students in the first place? What motivates students to come to school? Why do schools, why do students choose to come to school? And why do students decide to perform in school? Right, right. I think, well, I mean, if, if, if you use your own childhood experiences, for me, I came to school because I enjoyed being in school. I enjoyed my teachers. I'm sure some of them were more difficult or more, more social than, than some of the others, but, but I just enjoyed being at school. I enjoyed the experience of, of meeting new people, being around my friends, uh, the, the, the joy of learning something new that you could take home and share um, that particular day. Um, and if that was taken away from me, well, first of all, all my friends were at school. So if I stayed at home, there was nothing to do. I mean, I, I, I couldn't see myself sitting in front of a TV. And obviously during that particular time, we didn't have video games and cell phones and all those things. So you just basically sat in the house and there was no cable at that time. So you got three channels maybe. And, you know, so it consisted of Captain Kangaroo in the morning and, and uh, you know, and then whatever came on in midday and, and, then, and then that was it. So um, until your friends came home. So, and, and that consisted of waiting for your friends to get off the bus and, and then you can go and, and have, have a good time. So well, there's a, there's a lot of wisdom of what you just said, in, you know, in my opinion, for why kids come to school. Because sure. what happened when kids couldn't come to school because of COVID, what did they want to do? Right. Exactly. They wanted to come to school. And the reason kids come to school is because of the relationships. Sure. So when they come back and the teachers or the administrator or whoever is not relationship based 
And uh, they come back and we start right in on testing to find out where the gaps are. Those kids are going to lose their motivation to come to school and they're not going to behave very well. And maybe what we should have done, and maybe we can learn on this from the future, is just like that first grade teacher who couldn't really start in on however academic academic pursuits are in first grade, start in on uh, uh, academics and reading and writing and arithmetic, we really needed to re-socialize our students for how to... uh, how to be successful in school, which sure. isn't always study skills and studying for your tests. It's more about getting along with each other. Sure. And, and students, you know, think about your best teachers. I think about my best teachers. And, you know, they have guidelines and rules and stuff, but students don't really, they had no rules while they were away for COVID. So they're not going to respond well if you're going to come back and set a bunch of rules and control them. Uh, tell them how they're going to behave when they come back, you got to include them and talk to them and build that relationship again. And uh, then when you, when you understand that students are really motivated by relationships, motivated to be with their friends, motivated to be with their teachers, motivated even to be with their principals, if they can develop a relationship with them. And so that, that, that is what I think where we missed the boat. And, and I'm not blaming anybody. Uh, I don't think anybody knew it coming back from COVID, but we really needed to spend some time on socialization and making kids a part of our organization again, a part of our school. And as you do that and they're motivated to come, then you can start gradually focusing on some of the other things you want to be there. And that's learning. Well, and, and it's, it's a very good point. It's, it's, it's really interesting because uh, you start to think about uh, things that we just took for granted. Um, the, 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 the great feeling or the, the, uh, the comforting feeling of, of being able to hug someone, um, especially, uh, you know, those teachers in, in primary. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, the, the hugs you get from a first, second, third grader, kindergartner, um, you know, to have that taken away, um, it's, it's almost at like, uh, you know, when you're in the, in, the, uh, in the penal system and you really want to punish someone, you put them in solitary confinement yeah. and you take away that socialization, you take away that, that, uh, that ability to interact with someone one-on-one, that drives you nuts. And, uh, and, that, and that I would imagine, I, I'll, I'll just speak personally for me, I kind of felt that way. I was like, man, I can't, I mean, sure I can, you know, because of technology, we can, we can talk like, you know, like you and I are right now, but this is nothing compared to being able to stand face to face, sit next to each other and, and, uh, and, and, and share a laugh and, and, and a hug and a handshake and, and those things, those common practices that we came to, to just, uh, enjoy or, 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 take for granted were taken away from us and then all of a sudden it's like okay you're too close to me uh, I, I can't I can't I can't get any closer to you than this and and that was just difficult well what, once we understand you know because behavior is all motivation you know what what, sure. what motivates you to behave that well and once sure. educators understand and honestly believe that students are 
motivated by relationships. And, and, you know, I started to say, you look at your best teachers, you know, you and I were both principals and uh, we had some teachers that were sending students to our office every day or two and three times a week. But we had other teachers who handled all of their discipline problems. I had teachers in my building that never sent a student to me and handled them on their own. Well, those teachers understood that when a student was acting up in class, there was something wrong with the relationship. When the student was acting up to a point where they felt like they needed to send them to the office, something, the relationship between that teacher and student were damaged and the best teachers fixed those relationships on their own. And once the student understood that that teacher had his or her best interests in mind, now the students could get back to, and, and took responsibility for the behavior and made a plan to change it. Now that student was ready to learn again in that teacher's room. And, sure. and that's how all my best teachers function. And so uh, the key is to teach some of these other people who have a little bit more relationship problems to teach them, number one, these students want to have a relationship with you. They're motivated by it. And once you become more relationship with those students, you got to, they have a much better chance of learning in your, in your classroom. Sure. Unfortunately, in many American schools, we rely on the external control, detention, suspension, stay in for recess. And we expect that to change their behavior when in reality, that just damages the relationship ever even further, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that's, what, that's what teachers and administrators got to take a look at and honestly believe that they can motivate students through their relationships and they don't, you know, punishing them only drives them further away. Well, and, and I know you're, you're a big proponent of, um, and you have data <laughs> that supports your feelings in regards to discipline and, and punishment. And, and it's really interesting because um, I think it has a lot to do with, with the, the, the philosophy of the superintendent, the philosophy of the, the, the school district that you work in, um, the philosophy of the demographics that you work with, um, and all of those things come into play. I mean, and I know <clears throat> most people say kids are kids and it, and it shouldn't matter. You know, a kid in inner city Chicago is the same as a kid in, in rural South Dakota. And I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I think that, that uh, as you take a look at, at what your discipline policy is going to be, you, you have to be mindful of, of, again, the demographics, be mindful of what's your overall philosophy, what's, your, what's the end game from the discipline that you're trying to, to, uh, to uh, exhibit uh, to your teachers and, and, the, and the school system that you work in. So uh, with all that being said, um, it, it, for lack of a better way of putting it, I think you have to, to do what, what is most comfortable for you and the district that you work in and the kids that you are, are working with on a daily basis. Well, this is what I'd like to see out of out of what you just said, and that is, um, you know, I, you you mentioned the inner city kid, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know everything about inner city schools, so I'm going to sure. make a I'm going to make a generalization, and that is, and, and and this is a hot topic in education right now, 
it is making schools more diverse, uh, making schools, helping schools be able to better serve diversity, making schools more equitable, and making classrooms more culturally responsive. And, and so I've said a lot there, but when an inner city youth comes to school, lots of times there's hidden rules in the school that this inner city youth has never experienced before. They don't, they don't know these rules and they're really somebody else's rules from their point of view. Does that make sense? Yes, no doubt. So you have talked before about the inequity of black students, the, the, the percentages, higher percentages of black students being punished. And I, you know, I might suggest that when that's happening in a school, any school, an inner city school, or a school like you being uh, bused from, from a inner city area back out to a, a more less diverse area to create more diversity, when you know that student coming to school might not know based on the culture and and the environment they're brought in they might not know the school's rules well to start to address that then do we need to make our how do we need to make what do we need to do in our schools to make the school more culturally responsive to be aware that this student may be coming into a bunch of hidden rules that they don't know anything about. And then the process we use to bring them in line is to punish them. Well, I, th I think it's one of those things where, you know, you have to put kids, <clears throat> sometimes you have to be uncomfortable, comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that you have to keep, take kids out of their comfort zone. You know, they want to sit in the same spot every day in lunch and they want to, uh, you know, be around the same group of people. And, and uh, so I think you have to put them in settings um, that, that, that will force them, for lack of a better word, force them to engage um, in conversations, get to know people outside of their own social circle, their own demographic, uh, their own uh, culture. Um, I just think it's important um, that as many opportunities as you have as an administrator to put kids in those settings, um, the longer things, or excuse me, not longer, but the better things will become in the long run, in my opinion. Well, well, how responsible is it of the school, though, too, to, to understand what I just said, that this setting is unfamiliar, that we are, you know, when this student comes into this school, this is unfamiliar to them, and it may be uncomfortable for them. Well, it's 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 one of those things, Brian, where you know it's like being a part of a of an athletic team, and you you've established this is how we're going to get things done, and this is this is the, the hopefully will be the end result of all the work that we put in, but the players have to sell the program, the players have to police the team, uh, the players are in the locker room um, and interacting with each other and, 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 uh, and, and really selling the mission statement that you're trying to, to uh, establish as a coach or as a program. And it's the same way in a school. Um, you know, I think I alluded to this in one of our earlier podcasts, 
a school that I worked in that they had a, uh, a saying and it was, it was all over the, 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 uh, the hallways and, and the saying was uh, no one rises to low expectations. And the more that the teachers repeated it, the more that the, the, uh, the administrators uh, repeated it and, and some of the other workers in the building, um, the more that culture was being established within the school. So, um, I mean, sure, we can put kids in all different types of settings, but, but uh, you have to have uh, a, a time where, you know, kids are allowed to interact with each other and hopefully we'll sell that particular mission statement that you're trying to establish within your school. Um, and who knows how long that takes. It just, it really just depends on who the established leaders are because the kids, kids know who the leaders are in the building. Um, you know, they might say they are, but um, for the most part, I have found in, in my 32 years, the kids know, they know who those leaders are, whether it be leaders of a particular uh, grade level, the ninth, 10th, 11th and seniors, or just the overall leaders in the building. They know who those kids are. Well, this, uh, what was the saying again? Nobody Nobody rises to low expectations. Nobody rises to low expectations. Now, now here's my question, or, or maybe I should say it more. Maybe I should say it more directly. I, I don't think every student that comes in the building knows exactly what that means. You know, sure. you, you talked about a coach who's trying to build a, a team mentality and a family mentality in their team, but there may be some kids that come to that team that have never experienced that. So I, I would say that you, as a coach, you are purposeful about building relationships with those students and then taking steps scaffolding, not assuming everybody knows what we mean by team and family, because some of the kids coming in that environment maybe have not had a family to, to, you know, you know, in, in basketball, one player can't take over. You, you know, you've got to throw that ball around. And there may be a kid who is the star in the playground and doesn't know anything about that. And that coach, that leader has to teach them. And I will say that, you know, we use the athletic analogy or metaphor, but students that come to our schools come in. And when we say to them, nobody rises to low expectations, many of those students may say, huh, I I don't know where you're coming from. And if we sure. automatically assume that they do know, uh, they may never get it. And so I, I think teachers and principals who are going to use that mantra, which is a good one, I think we need to be purposeful, you know, just like what we were saying before, let's not start off first grade class with our numbers or our alphabet. Let's spend a little bit of time building relationships with students who maybe I've not even had that before building sure. relationships and spending time to, to break down. Nobody rises to low expectations. What's that sure. mean to you? Uh, Cheryl, what, 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 you, oh, let's talk about that a little bit. And now sure. if you can build that relationship and bring these kids in the conversation, can a teacher and a principal then um, make this student want to be part of that? That's saying that mantra? 
Well, and, and that's the thing. Uh, again, I, I, being, being a coach, I, I'll use a coaching analogy. Uh, let's just say you're, you're uh, and I'll use a basketball analogy. Um, you're the type of coach and you, you, you run the type of program that we run a motion offense and everyone moves and everyone touches the basketball and everyone uh, feels like they're a part of, uh, of that particular play that is happening in that particular time. And you have a new person that comes in, whether someone that's moved up to the varsity, someone that's moved in uh, from another school that's transferred in, whatever the case may be. And as soon as they get the ball, they shoot it without the other four people have not to, having not touched the ball. Someone either, and you hope it's a kid, but, um, but someone should go and say, that's not how we do things here. That, that's, that's, that type of mentality doesn't fly. For when you say that, the coach or one of the players? I would hope that the coach would say it first, um, but then the kids will, will back it up in, in, in what they say and how they play as well. So that's, that's, that's what you're hoping will happen. Yeah, well, yeah, that coach is purposeful about teaching their system. Sure. And principals, sure. principals need to be purposeful. You know, principals need to have their values and beliefs in line. Uh, in, in order to help others understand their values and beliefs, I better understand mine. Sure. Uh, otherwise, there's no direction at all. If that coach doesn't have a system, everybody's going to be throwing the ball up like an NBA sure. all-star game because sure. there's no system there. You know, That's they correct. just come together and they play and out on the correct. playground. So a principal has to be like that coach. Know my system understand my values and beliefs. And, and I'm really talking about a broad, diverse population of students coming in. I have to be prepared for them to not all of them. Fortunately, some of them will know about my system, but many sure. of them may not. And much of my system may come as an absolute surprise to those students. Correct. And so what happens, a student, and I'll talk about seventh, eighth, ninth grade now. A student is new to my system. They come in and in the first two days, they make a mistake. What do I do? We hand them a detention. That's not fair to that student. That, that We needed to give that student some time to uh, learn our system. One, and then we have to build a relationship with that student. They want to be a part of our system. Because what happens to these students that quit wanting to come to school about seventh, eighth, ninth grade? Nobody's built a relationship with that student. When they sure. didn't understand the system, we punished them. We made them stay in for recess or we isolated them from their peers or sure. we made them stay after school. Or if it was bad enough in a fight, we kicked them out for three days. Sure. How can we teach them the system if they're gone for three days? And not sure. only that, we've damaged the relationship. And here's my point. We want those percentages of diverse students, and I'm going to say black students, that get in trouble the most to go down. All we have to do is quit punishing everybody, quit giving detentions. Now you don't have any population getting punished the most. And number two, start teaching everybody our system. Right. And if they don't learn the system, you document and you call their parents and say, Listen, this may be uh, new to Keith, 
but this is how we do things. Can you help us talk? Can you talk to you know, Keith a little bit and see if together we can make Keith part of our system? And because sure. we think it's better for him in the long run. And sure. uh, now if Keith still isn't able to be part of the system, as the documentation piles up that there's troubles, that documentation can tell us a little bit how to accommodate what plan do we need for Keith to be more successful? Sure. And when you do it that way, you don't, you don't rely on punishment. You rely on data and you rely on plans. And eventually you can come to a plan for most students that's going to work for them. But it's all sure. based on relationships and not punishment. And now somebody out there is saying, well, what about the students that have a behavior disability? Well, you need that data to get more formal support for those students who may need it. And so without punishing them, let's try some accommodations and some modifications. So if we do go to something more formal, we have some data to tell us what might work with this student. Sure. And I think as an assistant principal, you know, you, you, you pretty much form your philosophy on the people that you've worked for, the, the, the superintendents and school systems that you've worked for, and then you add your own, uh, once you become a principal, you add your own flavor to it. Um, you know, you and I might like uh, German chocolate cake, but the ingredients that go into yours might be a little bit different than ingredients that go into mine. It's still cake and it's still German chocolate cake, but, you know, we might mix it up a little bit different. So, um, you know, in my experience, it might be based on, um, you know, if I work for strong disciplinarians that, that really believe in punitive things, um, chances are I am going to run my school and base my philosophy on uh, the people that I've worked for. Uh, whereas uh, someone else that uh, is a strong believer in, let's say, restorative justice, is a strong believer in, in uh, you know, allowing kids to kind of work their way out of trouble um, and, uh, you know, and the end result is, is, uh, is everything, everything is fine. Um, you know, they might go that, that direction. So I don't know if there's any one, one way or, or a couple of different ways to, to get it done. Um, I think that you just want your school and, 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 uh, the people that work for you to understand this is the culture that we're trying to establish this is how we're going to establish that culture. And I need everyone to buy in. And, uh, and if we're all rowing in the same direction, then, then we can get things done in, in the way that we'd like to get it done. Well, and, uh, you know, we've gone on long enough. I don't know if people will listen yeah. to us any longer. So we'll, we'll stop there. But I'd like to continue to explore that because, uh, you know, uh, you're exactly right with the diverse population of students that are coming to schools and, and we want them to be diverse and we want to be responsive and I'll use the word again culturally responsive to all the students coming to our school there is no one way uh, you know that that's where the word differentiate comes in and, sure. and students do need a variety of modifications and accommodations but what happens too much of the time is we, we do stick to what we believe works, what's never works. And if you create this, if you uh, commit this offense, you get this punishment. 
Sure. And and that's the thing that we have to change the way we look at things because that's not working. That's not working. But uh, yeah, let's put different ingredients into our kids that the data tells us works for that kid. So when we come back, Keith, I want to I want to go back to that restorative justice. Um, yes. Students come to school trauma affected. I can make a case that every one of our students coming back from COVID is affected by trauma. And, sure. uh, you know, when you're working with a student affected by trauma, you, you aren't going to punish the student into submission or compliance. You've got to get to the root cause of that trauma and now differentiate for that student who maybe has different trauma than every other student that you're working with and, and find out how we can support that student according to, you know, what they've experienced. And then... No I'd like to talk more about diversity and equity and culture responsive and how much, how much of the responsibility relies on principals, teachers, and schools to become more culturally responsible and, uh, you know, supportive of trauma affected and how much it relies on students coming to our schools to, you know, uh, uh, know our rules and, and maybe we can pick up there next time. I think a good topic would be uh, PTSD for students after COVID, you know, because they're all going through post-traumatic stress disorder. They yes. all are yeah. in some form or fashion. Yeah. So. And that, that might be what we are missing as adults when we started up our schools again, but that's sure. a topic for another day. So uh, okay. we'll wind it up and uh, get back another time. Well, thank you so much for this time. Were students prepared to return to face-to-face -face instruction? The schools put too much emphasis on grading, test scores, and gaps in learning when adults in school could be building relationships with students and teaching students how to interact with each other. Be sure to watch for the next episode of Beck for a Diverse America as Keith and I continue to talk about the role of principals and all educators for helping students thrive during this most perplexing time for schools. Thanks for making Beck a part of your day.